Welcome to Too Smart for This, a podcast dedicated to knowing better and doing better for ourselves and others, hosted by me, Alexis Barber. In this show, we invite real people and experts to share their stories about how they navigate an ever-demanding society and talk about the personal decisions we make from career to health and wellness. Let's get into it. everyone and welcome back to another episode of Too Smart for This. I am so excited about this interview that I got to do with Ali Bonar, who is the founder of Ava Queen and Queen and Co. She is so fun to talk to. I absolutely love talking to her. I related to her on so many different things that we discussed today. And I'm just grateful to have her expertise and her experience shared because not only is she an entrepreneur, an influencer, et cetera, or someone who has really overcome like focusing on diet culture, but she has such a great perspective on the realities of who we are. We can't just stop comparing ourselves to each other. We can't just stop binge eating or not eating, whatever. Like We have very nuanced parts of this human being experience, and she does such a great job of talking about that. So I'm so excited to have her today, and let's get into the episode. Okay, so welcome, Allie, to the podcast. I'm This is my second recording, and I'm really, really excited to have such a badass on. So thank you so much for being here. Awesome. No, I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. Anytime. So um, I give, I'll give a little intro beforehand, but I did want to just ask you, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. You know, it's been a wild week. We um, so we launched our apple pie flavor, which was just like a seasonal flavor. Um, I think that was last week. I don't know. It's been a whirlwind, honestly. I've seen it. It looks amazing. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's been super fun because we so we make everything in-house um, just because our product is allergen-free. And mm-hmm. so that kind of gives us the opportunity to, you know, do these sort of fun little pop-up flavors. Um, and we tested it with pumpkin spice and it was very successful. And we were like, maybe it's just pumpkin spice. You know, like everyone's right, pumpkin like spice. Yeah. I was like, maybe it's just the basic bitches. But then, you know, we tested it with apple pie and, you know, the same kind of thing. I think people just love like kind of, you know, seasonal things. And mm-hmm. so, so that's been kind of crazy, but no, things are good over here. Um, I'm in San Diego. So just sort of getting my day started. Awesome. That's so cool to, you know, be able to just add a new flavor like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun because a lot of food companies work with um, like co-packers, they call them, or co-manufacturers. And I mean, the minimum order quantities of those, if you work with someone like that, would be like, you know, 20,000, 50,000 jars. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. So a lot of times like it's really tough because, you know, you'll order that amount and then it's hard because you're like, are we going to sell through that amount? So yeah, we, we've been lucky with just kind of making our product in-house. Um, but of course, there's, so how, you know, challenges yeah. with that as well. <laughs> of course. So how did you decide to do that and just get off the ground with building like your own like manufacturing situation? I know. I know. So weird. So wild. Um, so we, I actually have no background in the food industry or anything like that. Um, I come from the tech side of things. Um, so I went to school up in the Bay Area. Um, um, at Berkeley. And then after that, you know, moved into the city, um, kind of the 
classic transition to San Francisco. A lot of my um, so friends do. Yes. Yeah, so cliche. Um, <laughs> and so moved into the city, started working in tech, you know, the whole startup thing. And I actually really enjoyed it. You know, I, I didn't have one of these stories. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are like, I hated my nine to five and, you know, um, and all of that. But I actually really enjoyed my job. Um, an awesome team, awesome boss. Um, but I really just always felt like there was something more. And, you know, I, I was one of those people that I was a really hard, I am a really hard worker, but it kind of like pained me to be working so hard for someone else. Um, and I felt like I could just make totally. a much greater impact, um, you know, on my own. And so, yeah, but I mean, with granola butter, you know, I really kind of just fell into that. Um, so it came out of my uh, you know, eating disorder recovery. And part of that journey was me adding a lot of foods back into my diet that I'd restricted heavily for years. Um, so nut butters were actually something I was terrified of and, you know, restricted for a really long time. And so as I started to add them back in, you know, my gut health was kind of a wreck just from years of like restricting and binging. And so I had a really hard time digesting peanut butter, almond butter, all those things. And so granola butter really came from, you know, in the meantime, I needed something kind of nut free that was, you know, I just wanted something to like throw on a banana before a workout um, right. that wouldn't like weigh me down. And so I had this sort of like epiphany to do something with oats because, you know, I just oats have always worked really well in my body. I think they taste really good. Um, and I had this sort of idea of like, you know, people have done cookie butter, Trader Joe's cookie butter, there's nut butter, like why has no one done an oat-based spread? Um, and then soon realized a lot of the schools now are, you know, becoming more and more nut-free. Um, so saw a huge white space there. And yeah, in terms of like, you know, going back to your question with manufacturing and everything, I mean, we like, so we, we is me, my boyfriend is my co-founder, Eric, and then our third co-founder, Ari, who's like his childhood friend. Um, we like had no idea how the food industry worked. And honestly, we kind of just were just kind of doing it. Like we were just like, I guess, we, you know, we'll start renting out commercial kitchen space. So we kind of worked in this commissary kitchen. Um, and then as we grew, you know, we went from the sort of pay by the hour model to our own shared space. So we're um, currently in a kitchen that, you know, we have our own dedicated um, area, but we also share it with another company. Um, and now we're paying, you know, paying rent monthly and all of that. So sort of growing up, up as we scale, but, um, we've all sort of just had to learn, you know, as we went, like it wasn't something that, you know, there's not really much you can find in terms of Googling. Yeah. Or, there's you know, not a handbook for exactly, this. Exactly. No handbook. And so, um, yeah, kind of just been learning as we go. And then obviously talking to other really cool people in the space, um, in food and all of that. So yeah, we're actually, um, I don't know when this episode's going to be going to air, but we are in the process of moving. Um, so we're in San Diego now and we're going to be moving facilities, um, to Philadelphia. So, Whoa, that's yeah, crazy. That's January. such a big move. Yeah. Oh my God. yeah. This will be coming out in January. So okay. yeah. Okay. Perfect. So I'll be mid move in the dead of winter during a global pandemic. What oh my God. I'm doing the same thing. I'm moving to New York. So wild yeah, times. It's wild. I know. So anyways, but, um, but yeah, back to your question. I mean, no handbook. We kind of just, just winging it and you know, there've been lots of mistakes, but it's also been very fun and there's never a dull moment. <laughs> It seems like it. I mean, it's so inspiring to see you just, you're like, okay, this is something I need for my body. And obviously so many other people need it too. All my siblings are in school. They can't bring nuts in. Like this is an incredible white space. So obviously you came up with that in a really wonderful way. And so when you decided to start scaling it, what was like the process of 
like doing direct to consumer versus going in selling wholesale to different stores? Yeah. So we started, um, I guess, backing up. So I started my Instagram account, which I still run today, um, my personal one. And that actually, I was never in the business of like becoming an influencer. I didn't even know what an influencer was, to be honest with you, because um, this was like three and a half years ago. And, you know, really started my account just to document my recovery journey. Like, and it, I didn't think anyone was going to see it really. <laughs> I think similar to you. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, it really was just an awesome medium for me too, like to get back into the kitchen and start playing with my food again. Um, I think for so long, I really, I just was so rigid around food and had so many food rules and, you know, just was very strict with myself. And so, um, food was really stressful and, you know, um, caused a lot of anxiety. And so, um, you know, Instagram was an awesome place for me to really, you know, get creative, get my hands dirty, all that good stuff. And so, um, so I started that about a year before we launched queen, um, my company and, yeah, I mean, that was just a nice test market for us, I think, when we launched. So um, I had probably like fifteen to 20,000 followers at the time. And, um, you know, of course, those people are more engaged with, you know, they know my story. And so they're more likely right. to buy my product. Um, <laughs> but it felt like a kind of a comfy little launch pad for us to try stuff out and just see if people even, you know, wanted granola butter because that was something that hadn't existed in the world before we launched it. And so um, the response was pretty incredible and um, fanatic, I would say. And so um, people just understood the idea. And so we have always been, you know, really heavily D2C from the beginning. It's still 50% of our business. Um, But then slowly realized, you know, for moms and a lot of these people that have kids in nut-free schools, like they don't have time to, you know, go to our website or go on to, you know, a different sort of um, platform to buy their granola butter. Like they need it in front of them at the store. Um, and so we kind of realized pretty quickly that retail was also a huge, um, you know, place for us to be. So I, our first market was actually Whole Foods, which is really, um, really Amazing. strange. Yeah. Like kind of mm-hmm. like zero to a hundred. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. But the reason, or like the way that that happened was pretty wild. Um, so I had reached out to, the buyer, I like found her on LinkedIn, I think. And I was just, you know, same kind of thing where I didn't really know how the industry worked. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to be a pit bull and just kind of like wing it. And you typically like don't just reach out, you know, directly to the buyer um, (laughs) now that I know more about it. But, you know, I didn't know any better. So found her on LinkedIn, tested a couple variations of, you know, her email because I couldn't find it anywhere finally found one that wasn't a bounce back and, you know, just reached out and basically told my story and kind of the deal with our product. Um, and she was super interested and she was like, you know, I'd love to try samples. Um, but I want to add that this was like, I reached out, you know, three months went by, didn't hear anything. And I was like, okay, she hate like, this never made it to her. Right. And then she got back to me and was like, oh my God, I'd love to try samples. Another three months went by after we sent samples. And I was like, she hates it. Um, and we were actually in an Uber on the way to Expo West, which is like, I don't know if you know, but a huge food show um, in mm-hmm. Anaheim. And we got an email back from her and she was like, we want to bring you guys in to the, you know, Southern California region or whatever. And we were just ecstatic, like ecstatic, but also scared because we were just had no idea what that even entailed. Um, and so I think that was really the start of sort of our like retail side of things. But um, yeah, I mean, we're pretty omni-channel, like, you know, D2C, food service, retail. I think with COVID too, like it's changed a lot. <laughs> um 
people are definitely shopping more online. And so it's been kind of nice that we're on, you know, Amazon and our site and all of that. But yeah, it's been a slow grind. I think a lot of people think, you know, seeing entrepreneurship on Instagram and stuff, it's this like sexy, you know, lucrative thing, but especially the food industry, it's, um, it's very expensive and it, it takes a while to kind of build up that customer base. That makes sense. I think, yeah, a lot of people are like, yes, you did such a great job. And like now you have like you're in Whole Foods. And like I bet that was just so like fast and easy for you because you had a platform. But in reality, like it still was scrappy entrepreneurship at the end of the day. Um, And it's not something that you just like can follow in the footsteps of at any point. So, And something interesting about that too, just to add on is, you know, seeing a lot of these brands on Instagram, um, it's really easy to see a brand on Instagram and, you know, maybe you feel like you see them everywhere and every influencer is posting about them. Um, that actually, you know, from what I've learned, like it doesn't really dictate, you know, or, or, you know, prove that that brand is successful. Like, I think there's brands out there that have raised a lot of money, a lot of capital, and they're kind of just pumping it into influencer marketing and paid ads. And so you see them everywhere. You feel like they're doing really well. But, you know, in reality, they're spending much more than they're actually making. So um, I think that's something to keep in mind, too. Um, I mean, not just with business, but in life, like, just because someone's showing, you know, kind of one side of things online and their biz- their life looks perfect, um, that might not always be the case. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's, if anything has taught us that it's clearly in business, like their numbers don't really lie. Like, it's very important to think about that as we look at Instagram too, which it can even be a bubble, you know, being on social media. So um, speaking of that, would you say that launching your business was like what gave you enough confidence to like leave your job in tech and then in that same vein what was it that really made you want to go down to San Diego and then what's really pulling you to Philly now yeah no I mean it's crazy I mean a lot of people will ask me like wow you know that's so brave that you left your full-time job and kind of ask they're acting like it was this easy thing um it was not like I am so risk averse as just a human like I am a very um safe person, I would say. <laughs> and um, yes. and so it was really scary for me to actually leave. And like, you know, I, I hadn't really had any other job after college. I had worked at this company um, in one other company for, you know, about three or four years after college. But it was my first sort of foray into my own, like doing my own thing. Um, and it was scary. I think the scariest thing was the financial side of things. You know, I don't come from a ton of money um, and have always really, you know, had to work hard for for what I had. And so um, that was scary to kind of, you know, feel like I didn't have that security blanket um, to of kind course. of, uh, co- yeah, of income, you know, coming in. Um, but I think, you know, it really just was one of those moments where I realized, you know, the longer I stay here, like, it's so easy, I think, to talk yourself out of things, right? Like, especially if you're, you know, maybe you have a business idea or a side hustle and you're kind of keeping it to yourself. Like, it's so easy to just get to that place where you're like, well, no one will know if I stop working on this or I stop doing it. Um, And so for me, a really important part was like, you know, posting about it on Instagram, getting it out into the world, telling people. Um, And I actually worked on Queen for as a side hustle for a year. So I worked my full-time job and I worked on, you know, granola butter nights and weekends. Um, I basically didn't see friends for like a full year. They were like, where did you go? (laughs) Um, But I really, you know, I think there's two types of people when it comes to entrepreneurship and one being the type of person that, you know, 
really needs that push, needs sort of to jump off a cliff and like, you know, build their parachute on the way down to kind of get that kick in the pants to do something. Um, I was the opposite. I actually wanted that security blanket because, um, you know, of having my full-time job while I was building this company. Um, Just because as soon as, you know, I feel insecure financially, I think my creativity just goes out the window. Um, But again, you know, there's trade-offs and you really don't, I think I underestimated how much time it actually took to, you know, start this company. Um, Mm -hmm. And any entrepreneur can tell you, like, you work harder than you ever have in your whole life. Um, It's so rewarding, but it's just, yeah, it's a lot of hours. So, um, yeah, so after we, you know, I left my full-time job and kind of just made this leap to doing it full-time, I think the moment that I realized that had to happen too was when we launched with Whole Foods. And I just saw such a big opportunity and sort of the, you know, the realization of like, this is bigger than just, you know, myself. This is, a, a, you know, creating a category and a um, sort of a huge change within the the food space. Um, and so I decided, you know, the risk was much worth the potential reward at the end. Um, and so launched and that was about a year ago. And it's just been wild, I think, you know, being able to kind of do this full time. And, um, and I think, as I mentioned before, like, you go on social media, you see people saying, you know, putting entrepreneur in their Instagram bio and like, it's totally right. different than that. Like I, I just, I don't want to like crush anyone's dreams, but um, you know, just being realistic, it is, it's tough. I think like the hardest thing um, has really been just finding that personal time and like, you know, as cliche mm-hmm. as it is like that self-care um, because it is a lot of hours. But again, like I don't want to be, you know, negative Nancy. Like it's so rewarding to actually create something and, you know, put in the hard work and immediately see that, you know, that reward or that um, feedback. Um, but yeah, that was kind of like, I guess, the the, the leaving point for my job. Um, and then, you know, I think it's been really cool too to kind of you know, talk to friends who are still in, you know, the tech space or whatever. And just, you know, having that support system of people that not necessarily even other entrepreneurs, but, you know, other people in my life that are just so supportive. I think that's really the most important thing is finding that group of people and those friends that will just support you no matter what. And maybe they don't understand what you're doing or, you know, they don't, um, they do miss you. Cause like, I wasn't going to a lot of social events and stuff for the first probably year, but they're just like, you know, backing you, supporting you and kind of doing whatever they can to, um, yeah, just like prop you up. So of course. That's really – I think I really appreciate the – I mean, it's clear there's two sides of this. Like there's the really difficult nights and weekends, like really trying to grind it out part and there's a great rewarding part. There's also the part for you where it's it's a, it's very personal. It has to do with your, your brand that you've been building for all these years um, and it also has to do with like your financial security. Like you said, I think I'm the same way. Like I don't know if I would ever be prepared to leave my full-time job in tech um, just because – I'm similar. I have I haven't come from a lot of money, and so the security is really important to me. And it's also just like a big deal to make that leap and trust yourself a lot. So since it's been about a year from that, the question I was going to ask you when we started, although we jumped into business, which I really appreciate, um, which is, is kind of like, what is the most life changing thing you've learned in 2020? Oh boy. I mean, that's a big question. <laughs> and I could I feel like we could do a whole podcast on this. Um I mean, the biggest thing I've learned is just that, you know, I think well, I guess backing up. I think 2020 
for a lot of people has, you know, obviously been difficult. Um, and I hate sort of this like toxic positivity of like, you know, looking at things glass half full all the time. I like, I do want to you know, validate that like, yes, it was a fucking hard year. Um, but at the same time, I think so many of us have grown so much more than we ever anticipated this year. Um, and growth isn't always rainbows and butterflies. I think most of the time it's really difficult and doesn't feel very good. (laughs) Um, and we can talk talk about that, you know, on like the recovery right. side of things. But I mean, I've grown as a person, you know, even during, you know, Black Lives Matter movement and all of that. Like, I feel like, and I'm, you know, as you know, it's like white people like woke the hell up during that week, which was, you know, 400 years too late. But um, that's a whole nother topic. Right. <laughs> but it was like, I mean, it was a huge, I think, growth moment for me just, you know, growing up in San Diego, being, you know, in a predominantly white neighborhood and just never having to experience these issues. And, you know, I really love following you and kind of um, just continuing to learn, you know, from everything that you talk about on stories and um, and just kind of like through your lens. Because I think that's the most challenging thing, you know, is really like you can empathize with people, but never truly understanding because you haven't lived those experiences. Um, And so just doing, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, I mean, I didn't expect to go like all of a sudden on this race tangent, but I mean, that was really, I think the biggest thing in 2020 for me that, um, you know, was just this, this idea of growth and like, you know, that it's not sexy and it's not, um, you know, it's not fun usually. And, but it makes you a better person and, you know, develops character and, um, just makes you a little more like multifaceted and, you know, able to understand what others have gone through. Um, and then I think another thing too, that, you know, I've really learned has been just being able to pivot and being able to, um, just, you know, roll with the punches. I think like going back to kind of the food thing, I was so rigid and strict for so long. And I think I kind of, that reverberated through other areas of my life and just being, you know, type A and perfectionistic, um, which I think we glamorize a lot too, but it's actually like a really toxic (laughs) personality trait. Very Um, much so. (laughs) Um, Especially, you know, for um, a lot of us high achieving women. So um, yeah, it's just like getting, you know, a lot better at kind of, like I mentioned, rolling with the punches and just surrendering, I think was like surrender was a big word for me in 2020. Um, and something that I struggled a lot with and I'm still struggling with. Um, and so kind of just getting okay with that and, you know, everything happens for a reason is like sort of an annoying phrase to me, but it also has been sort of my mantra and has helped me a lot just to like relax into this dumpster fire of a year. (laughs) Love that. Relaxing into the dumpster fire is what we all have to do. And I do really appreciate that you touched on this race awakening that a lot of people have had. I think on my side, I had actually stifled a lot of my social justice part of my personality and like not, I was too scared to talk about it because I was in a pretty predominantly white place in for college. So it was an awakening moment for me too, to just remind myself that there's more important things in this world than food restriction and like looking perfect on the outside. So for you, what was it that, I mean, there's a lot of influencers who really refuse to talk about this type of Mm. either think something that's political or something that has to do with race. So for you, what was the reason that you decided to be so vocal about it or to educate yourself or to bring awareness to this? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it was 
Well, number one, I'm just going to be, I mean, you know me, I'm going to be totally real <laughs> always, but um, it was a lot of white guilt for me of just being like, whoa, like how have I missed this, right? And like, you know, sort of me feeling like, oh, I went to Berkeley, like I'm super liberal, you know, so I'm, true. I'm progressive, like almost this, um, I don't even know what the word is, but like I felt like almost embarrassed of like, holy shit, like how did I miss this? And, you know, the as you know, like the white guilt doesn't help anything, but that was really like, it helped propel me and like get my ass into gear and, um, and not just do it for, you know, the optics, not just do it for, um, virtue signaling, but really like this deep, you know, in, inside myself, this deep embarrassment of like, oh damn, like I, I missed the mark on this, right? Like I was living in my right. little white bubble of, you know, privilege and just not even realizing that, you know, the other issues and other struggles that, you know, people of color were going through. Um, and it, I think a lot of it too is almost this like identity crisis where you're just like, and almost like, yeah, it's just, it shakes you to your core because you're like, is my whole life a lie? Like, you know, and kind of feeling like, I, I don't know, it was just this like moment where I, I think, you know, for the majority of my life leading up to it, it's almost like you're a fish in water and you're not realizing, you know, <laughs> whatever that quote is that you're not realizing that yeah. you're in water. And I was like, damn, like I've just grown up, you know, so, so privileged. Um, and so that was really, you know, a huge turning point for me. And I think I really wanted to be vocal about it just because I have a platform, right? Like, yes, I talk about mm -hmm. food. Yes, I talk about body image. And I think those things are really important and I don't want to invalidate them. But at the same time, like, you know, I don't think I would be using my platform in the right way if I just sort of skimmed over that because um, I love what, you know, what you talk about with, you know, diet culture being, you know, a, like a white supremacist issue. Um, and it is a race issue, it is a social justice issue. Um, and we can kind of get into that as well. But yeah, for me, it was really just using my platform in the right way and, um, and just helping. I mean, if I was realizing this, someone who, you know, I felt like I was pretty woke, like I, you know, wasn't living under a rock, but clearly I was. Um, and so I felt like if I was learning all of these things so late in life that definitely other people who followed me, who are predominantly white women, um, also needed to hear about it. For sure. And I think that takes a lot of courage too, because um, the white guilt is one thing, but the harder thing I think in talking about this is admitting that you had a part in this. And I think that's the hardest thing for white people to do is admit that like, oh, like, I have been in situations or I've contributed to things that are racist or problematic. And I think everybody, I myself have that realization when it comes to even diet culture. Like I've fat shamed people before and like realizing that that type of thing is already done. It's in the past and we have to know better so that we can, you know, move forward and start helping these people that we may have even had a role in hurting. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's what I was seeing, you know, time and time again during that week, you know, um, in June of people on social media was like, you know, people wanting, especially influencers and myself included, wanting to say the right thing, wanting to be right, um, wanting to appear like we had it all together, wanting to appear that, you know, we were doing our part during this week. And like, I think the most important thing was like getting away from that and being like, look, like I fucked up. Like I, you know, haven't, I've contributed to this or I, you know, haven't been doing my part. I haven't been an active ally. Um, 
you know, the, in the, you know, past of my life. And so I think really getting to that place was really hard for a lot of people, myself included, um, to be able to kind of just, you know, just be real and be like, look, I'm not perfect. <laughs> we're all learning, right. we're all growing. But, you know, taking action is um, much more than just posting a black square. And as you know, it's an ongoing thing. So, um, yeah, so that was something that I really learned was like, it's okay not to have the answer. Um, And I think that's a tricky part about having a platform, though, is like people and I'm not even, you know, they're I don't have like a million followers or anything, but like people I feel like look to influencers for some reason during like during the election, during, you know, Black Lives Matter during these times of like, well, how are they reacting? What are they seeing or what are they saying? And like, you know, expecting people to have the answer immediately. Um, And I think that's what caused a lot of the virtue signaling, in my opinion, during that week of people just sharing to share. Um, And so, you know, I'm someone who kind of, I really want to like take my time and almost, um, you know, I don't want to just put something out there to put it out there. And so I think that was pretty challenging. But again, going back to, you know, my point before of like, it's okay to just, I think people are almost, you know, believe you more when you admit that, you know, you don't have the answer all the time and you did mess up and, you know, it just makes you more human. Exactly. It's like you said, surrendering to it. I mean, that's the most human thing that we can do is like, we do think we have control or that we have this like idea of needing to know everything to show everyone, just to show people that we do. And instead, real in reality, like none of us know everything and it's a much more human and a much more admirable thing to admit when you're learning. Um, and I think that's like really been great to see both like in your experience with becoming an anti-racist while also in your experience with food and your eating disorder recovery. So I would love to talk to you about like what for you was the biggest like I know everyone has to have this realization for themselves of like I need to stop doing this or I need to love myself a little bit more. So what are some tools that you tell yourself or that you use when you're getting into a, like a problematic mindset for a moment? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's tough, right? I think like I don't want to put out this um <laughs> this you know image of people thinking that I wake up and love my body every single day. I do not. In fact, I'm going to be super real with you. I was actually in the car ride on the way down here to our office to record this interview. And I was telling Eric, like, I just don't feel, I just feel gross today. Like, I just don't feel good. I don't feel like I look good. And then, you know, of course, poor him. He's like, well, what am I supposed to say? You know, what the fuck am I supposed to say? I think you look good, you know, whatever. And I'm like, shut up. Just listen. Um, And so it's like, it's an ongoing thing. Like, and of course, and yesterday I was like feeling myself, you know, I was taking selfies. Mm -hmm. I look the exact same. So I don't want to, you know, anyone to believe that, you know, and I'm sure there's people out there that do wake up and love their body most days, which is amazing. Um, But really this, this, you know, idea of body neutrality for me was really approachable, much more approachable than just this like sort of, again, toxic positivity of like loving yourself every day, Um, especially in the beginning because, you know, when I really started to dig my heels in and, you know, get my hands dirty with this recovery um, phase of my life, I think I was in a really bad place. Like I hated looking in the mirror. I really just – I said terrible things to myself um, that I would never say to anyone, but to myself, you know, it was like (laughs) – let's go. Um, and I just, I never felt like when I was in that place, I never felt like I could even, 
you know, like myself a little bit. And so I think body neutrality has really served as this great sort of um, just approachable, accessible place where, and for anyone who doesn't, you know, hasn't heard the term, it's basically just, you know, it's not putting your body on a pedestal. It's like not treating it with it's not putting so much emphasis on it. I think, you know, mm-hmm. coming from a place of negative emphasis or even this place, you know, on the other side of the spectrum of, you know, positively romanticizing your body can also be sort of harmful because it's just putting so much energy into thinking about your body. <laughs> um, and so body neutrality is much more like, you know, think of yourself when you were four or five years old, you know, running on the playground and your body is literally just a vehicle like to get you from point A to point B. Um, and it's just not putting so much emphasis on it. And so, you know, looking in the mirror and instead of saying hateful things, um, something that's really helped as well has been, um, and I got a lot of this from like meditation. I'm not a huge meditator. Honestly, it's like a struggle for me every time, but, um, have pulled some good things out of it. Um, and so, you know, having those thoughts and really just removing yourself from, um, your, you know, your thoughts and that emotion and just kind of observing them. So sort of like objectively looking at any negative thoughts that come in and just being like, Hmm, like that's an interesting thought, but not, you know, following it. I think we're all so quick and Mm. it's just human nature to have this thought of like looking in the mirror. I look fat, I look disgusting. And then being like, that's the truth. Like my brain, you know, I just, thought that. So it must be fact. Um, when it's not, it's just, you know, our brains are just like these machines (laughs) that spew out, you know, thousands of thoughts a day. And like, it's actually up to us to be able to, you know, hear that thought and be like, okay, cool. Thanks for that, you know, commentary, but I'm not gonna, you know, it's not serving me today. I'm not gonna, you know, pursue that thought. I'm going to choose a different one. Um, Mm -hmm. was huge for me. And like, it's a practice, like for sure. I think we're so used to just hearing thoughts and following them. And so it's not something that, you know, is going to come like overnight. Um, and there are still, you know, so like I told you this morning, I mean, I was like, Oh, I don't feel good. Um, I don't feel like I, you know, I just feel and like, that's so normal. And I think it's, you know, normalizing that that'll happen, but having the tools where you don't sort of spiral down into oblivion, like when those thoughts, um, you know, crop up. Exactly. And I think body neutrality is something that people are, or for me, at least I was like, I don't understand this concept because everyone is like, like either loves their body or like is changing it or they hate it or there's this, this and this. And like, it was really overwhelming when like you decide to leave or get rid of this like diet culture mentality and move towards this like radical self-love. And then you're like, oh, wait, well, I don't really naturally radically love myself. Um, Like there's a lot of work that went into making us hate our bodies. And so there's going to be a lot more work to come out of it, you know? Um, and so those tools are really helpful to hear about from someone who's like, you know, dealing with it on a daily basis too. I mean, as obviously I am every single day, I'm like, um, I, if I'm exercising, I keep falling into this trap of like, oh, I need to do this every single day so I can look like this or this, you know? And it's just, yeah, exactly. And it's just like, we don't, we don't, it's not natural to do all of that, you know? Totally. And I think too, like, I mean, just having grace with yourself, like, and I know it's so cliche. It's like, you know, go easy on yourself. It's hard. But like, think of all of the years that, you know, like you mentioned, all the years you've been thinking negatively about yourself, all the years you've been, you know, kind of entrenched in diet culture. Um, And I also, something about diet culture too is like, 
I think we act like it's this like it's the devil, right? And it, totally, I think it it definitely has caused a lot of harm. Um, but there are people that lose like I'm not anti weight loss. Like there are people that lose weight um, and have a very healthy relationship with food. Absolutely. So I think it's also like taking that personal accountability of like okay, because I. And this is just, you know, my own experience, but like I blamed, I think I was so quick to be like, oh, diet culture is like the reason for all my issues. And it's like, well, actually, no, like me not knowing my own self-worth and me not taking accountability for the fact that you know, I had deeper lying yes. issues was actually the problem. Um, and so kind of, you know, I guess it's like taking that personal accountability, which is really hard to do because, you know, at the end of the day, like we all know that, you know, 2020, for example, is a shitty dumpster fire of a year, but like some people have had a really great year and, and it's all really perspective and, you know, trying not to go into that toxic positivity mindset again, but like, it really is true. Like, you know, no matter what happens, no matter what your circumstances are, like we have the power to be able to really, um, shift our perspective on that. And I think that's terrifying for, a lot of people, myself included. Like, I think that power is really crippling for me because I'm like, but it's so much easier to just blame diet culture for all of my body image issues rather than like actually looking inward and being like, oh no, like this was my own thing, you know? And diet culture was just like a nice little pawn that I could latch onto. Um, But going back to your question, um, you know, I really think that it's just one of those things that you, I think people want that like pill. They want that, you know, black and white. They want that, you know, answer of like, okay, how do I all of a sudden have this magical relationship with food and my body? And like, you've been treating your body like shit for years. Um, so it's not going to happen overnight. And like, I myself have to remind myself of that all the time. Cause I talk about it on my, you know, freaking Instagram. And I'm like always talking about, you know, my recovery and, and all of that and healing my relationship with food. So when I have these moments like this morning where I was just like, I just don't like myself today. I, mm-hmm. Like it almost is this like imposter syndrome where I'm like, oh my gosh, like, but I'm the girl that is supposed to like herself. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> it's like, yeah. Anyways, but I guess my point with all of that is really just like, it's normal to not, you know, like progress isn't linear, right? You're going to have ups and downs. And actually the downs are what, you know, teach you the most. Like I'm sure in a couple of days, I'm going to look back and be like, oh, I learned X, Y, Z from, you know, this day. But right now, like doesn't feel very good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Like growth. I think you even said this earlier in the episode, growth is not something that feels good every single day. Like it hurts a little bit. It's really difficult when you recognize, like you said, with diet culture that like it wasn't this specific culture that was making me hate my body and treat it like shit. It was also this issue with I don't know how to love myself or I don't know how to, you know, really be in tune with my own body. And I think that even had a revelation for me when you said that because it was like I, as I've been preparing this podcast, I've been thinking about my journey of like how I got to where I am with this like Instagram account and everything. And I feel like um, I had a lot of issues with diet culture, but I also like this whole year have been on this journey of just learning how to like not care what other people think and love myself for who I am. So that is a really helpful way. Like we got to take accountability for who, who we are and what we want to become too. So totally. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, I just thought of that when you said not caring what other people think. Like, I think it's okay, too, to care. Like, I think we all care what other people think. And I think it's okay to be kind of, like, honest about that. Um, 
but not letting but not letting that dictate like what choices you make in your life, right? Exactly. Or like how, you know, what you do. Cause I think for a long time, like I went through this phase on Instagram, like when I was, you know, trying to kind of recover and heal and all of that. And I was like, yeah, like I don't give a fuck what people think. But like, so I would like post like my belly rolls or like my thigh cellulite or whatever. And then I would look and like that post wouldn't get very many likes. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm literally caring what other like do you know what I mean? right yeah you it's like so, irony. the irony is like so bad and um because I'm literally like fixated on the number of likes and I'm like but I actually am just contradicting myself right now um and so then I got to this point where I was like it's okay to care what other people think and be honest about that but like at the same time at the end of the day doing what's best for me and you know um yeah and just not like letting my actions be dictated by you know, the number on the scale or, you know, people's likes or comments or any of that. Um, yeah. Has right. For sure. I mean, like, it's like we say, or, oh, I don't care. I don't want to care what other people think about me. And then we're, we're influencing like on Instagram, like you have this whole platform, like you're, a, a big part of your job is like talking to other people about your opinions and having other conflicting things. Even in that is important too. I mean, I personally, I feel like, um, the place I'm trying to get out of is letting other people's opinions dictate my emotions, you know, Mm -hmm. like um, whether it's my actions or if I feel like happy or not, like that is something that the surrender part of this year is really helping with. So it's really crazy. But um, to a good, another question I have for you is like, what is one, I guess, the big societal norm, whether it's in business relationships, um, food, whatever, that you found that actually does work for you? Mm, That is interesting. Um, I like that question a lot. I don't think I've ever been asked that. I think, I mean, a societal norm for me has been like in a really, I think the relationship one is, is really important. Um, so I've always been, you know, pro women, (laughs) you know, strong feminist. I think women are, God's gift to earth. Amazing. But at the same time, like, and this is kind of just like a shallow answer, but I love that, you know, Eric, my partner is sort of more like a take charge, like take the reins kind of guy. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's been a learning lesson for me in, you know, my personal life, but also our business life is working together, living together, you know, that whole thing has been just kind of wild trying to navigate. Um, But something that's really, I guess I've learned from all of that is like this idea of like, you know, you can call it yin and yang, you can call it masculine and feminine energy, whatever, but sort of this balance of like, you know, in like during the workday in business, I'm very, you know, testosterone making decisions, you know, go, go, go. Mm -hmm. And then coming home, I noticed like, you know, I was still in that work mode um, and, you know, expected to kind of like make all these decisions. Okay, what are we making for dinner? Blah, blah, blah. And I just felt so out of balance. And so something that's been really cool um, and Eric and I have talked about it, you know, in the past few months has been just like coming home and sort of shifting into that more, you know, and I hate to make it about gender, but like that more like feminine energy and just like, Mm -hmm. you know, letting him sort of like take charge, you know, I guess, be the quote unquote man in the relationship. Um, And that's like a societal norm of like, oh, the guy brings home the bacon. You know, he's like the one that makes all the decisions. And I think I resisted that for a long time. But part of me is like, that's actually 
really nice. And that's something that I need, you know, after a long day of like making a bunch of decisions or whatever. Um, so that's been one I think that's been huge is kind of just like, I guess like letting him be the man, which is hilarious because Eric is like not like a he's not like a gym bro. Like if you look at him, he's like, very like actually like more on the feminine side of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, and he would be fine with me saying that. But um and so, yeah, it's just been like kind of like leaning into those societal norms, like letting him pay when we go out to dinner or whatever, where before I was so like, you know, no, like I'm going to be this self-sufficient woman. <laughs> I um, feel you. Yes. Yeah. So that's been kind of one thing. Um, and then in terms I of love like, that. yeah, in terms of like body image and, you know, I guess societal norms with like being a woman too, um, I think just like I – like I love – getting dressed up and I love, you know, wearing makeup and I do feel prettier. I do feel better about myself when I get dressed, when I'm wearing makeup, when I look, when I think I look good. And Mm. I think that's a tough kind of, um, you know, like it's nuanced, right? Because there's this whole, you know, love yourself, however, no matter how you look or whatever. But then part of me is like, well, I feel really good when I'm like rocking a red lip and I am in like a sexy ass little, you know, number and I feel much better. serving looks. Yeah, I'm serving looks like much better than if I'm like grubby in sweatpants. But of course, you know, most of the days now with quarantine, I am in sweatpants. Right. Um, but that's been a whole – that's been another thing too. Um, like I, I've only gotten Botox once in my life and I'm not – I mean, I probably will get it again. I've actually really – I thought it looked really good. I got it in my forehead. And like people on Instagram – because I – I'm so open about it. Like I shared, you know, as I was getting it, because I don't want to be one of those girls. It's like, oh, I drink right. water, and like that's why my skin like <laughs> looks so good. I have no wrinkles. Like, okay, Jennifer Aniston, please. Right. Um, and so I was like, I shared about it, and people were pissed. People were so upset. They were like, how can you preach loving yourself, and you know, and wellness, and like, and you're getting Botox, like you're such a hypocrite. And I was just like, okay, please. Like, I know it's human nature to put someone in a box, but like you know, I don't like my forehead wrinkles and I'm a really expressive person. And so that's why I have wrinkles and I'm also white. So I'm going to wrinkle like a prune, (laughs) you know, like, and so I just, I don't like wrinkles personally. Like if you do, that's fine, but I just don't like them on myself and I'm going to get Botox and you can drink green juice and get Botox and it's fine. Um, but that was a societal, yeah, that was a societal norm that I was like, you know, this is something that makes me happy. I did only get it once because it was expensive, but <laughs> might go back. Um, but yeah, but those are just some things. I really like that question because I think I do – there are a lot of societal norms that I really do, you know, I feel like they're kind of taboo to like agree with if you're in the body love, you know, self-love space. But So you know, true. Yeah. I, I like them. Of course. Well, I appreciate those because I both agree with both of them. Like I've had that same conversation with my boyfriend where I'm like, I am like very much like always in decision making capacities, both at like my job and my family and every other part of life. Like, can you just like decide what we're doing today? Like I just can't deal with it. So, and I think both of those things are important too, that we can be multifaceted. Like we can reject the things that don't work for us and we can enjoy the things that do without being hypocritical humans at every point in life. I mean, like there's this world is not for us to like, um, I guess just go along with, we're allowed to think different thoughts about things too. So I really appreciate both of those answers. Beautiful. Yes, totally agree. Awesome. So to end this episode, which has been so great, I have such a big smile on my face. Um, could we do a little rapid fire question moment? Ooh, yes, let's do it. 
Okay, fabulous. So the first question is appetizers or dessert? Oh, dessert. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Instagram or TikTok? Oh my gosh. TikTok. I am like, I'm so over Instagram. I know fire. I'm but I have a I have a lot of feelings. I love TikTok. I literally it is like my happy time at the end of the night. Eric knows because I'm just in our really? bedroom, like laying in bed, just dying, laughing. And he's like, he knows I'm on TikTok. Exactly. <laughs> it's, so it's like an escape. Every time I go on TikTok, like I will be laughing. Yes, you know? It's so good. It's so good. Okay. Favorite TV show of all time. Oh my goodness. Uh Man, that's so hard. Um, the Office. I, I mean, it's a classic. I've heard. I've heard. Okay, favorite podcast. Um, oh my gosh, which one do I like? I mean, is it bad to say my own? <laughs> you can say your own. Yours is one of my favorites. Every time I post it, everyone's like, "What is that one? I need to listen." <laughs> <laughs> no, that's like such a douchey answer. Um, I really like. I like the daily. I mean, I love. love all the like nerdy, like, well, actually, you post a lot of, I, I see what I'm a nerd. You okay. Yeah. I, I love like, yeah, the daily, um, anything with Ezra Klein, any of those. Oh, love him. Oh my God. Michael Bavaro. Oh my yes. God. Oh, yes. Um, okay. Most important self care practice? Um, I would say my morning walks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm with you on that. Yes. I am with you on that. I am a uh, bitch and a half if I do not get out. <laughs> right? We got to get moving. And it's so beautiful on the beach. I hope you can continue in Philly. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. There won't be any beaches there, but. <laughs> <laughs> True. Okay. Last question is finish this sentence with something you want young people to know. You're too smart for. You're too smart for, I mean, I have a thousand things I want to say right now. Um, You're too smart for choosing the kale salad when you really want the tacos. Love it. Oh, my God. (laughs) Stunning. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much for this. I really appreciate you being on the podcast, and I will be sure to let you know when everything goes live. Yes. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Too Smart for This podcast. Be sure to leave a review if you liked it. It takes two seconds. And follow the show on Instagram at Too Smart for This Pod. Check back every Tuesday and Friday for new episodes. And make sure to follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Alexis Barber for more content about lifestyle, health, and career. And don't forget, you're too smart to not love yourself.